so you can edit out that little nose blow there. <laughs> okay, let's pray again together. Lord, our God, we thank you that you are our Father. Lord, with you there is no variation or shadow due to change. Lord, we know that every good and every perfect gift comes from you. Lord, we thank you that you have given us the superlative gift of Christ, the greatest treasure in the universe who lived for us and died for us that we might have life in him. Father, we thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit who has given us the gift of regeneration. Lord, who indwells us and who is the seal of our salvation. Lord, we thank you that in your spirit you've also given us gifts with which we are to serve you to build up the body. Lord, I pray that as we look at this this passage of Scripture, these gifts, Father, that you would help us to understand correctly what they are. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to identify how you have gifted us for service in this local church. And, Lord, that you would empower, empower us by your grace and for your glory to serve in this local church, Lord, that your name would be exalted in our midst and that others would know that we are Christians by the love that we have for each other. We know that that love comes from you. And so, Lord, we thank you that we can come to you and boldly ask for these things. Lord, because you are our Heavenly Father and because... Christ is interceding for us before your throne and the Holy Spirit is interceding for us before the throne. And so, Lord, we know that that we can come not because of of any goodness that is in us, but because of your grace and for your mercy, because of your mercy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. anybody here enjoy doing puzzles? Have you ever tried one of those really challenging 1,000 piece puzzles? When I was a child, puzzles were one of my favorite rainy day activities. It would keep me busy for hours. I, I would prop up the box in front of me so that I always knew what the puzzle was supposed to look like. And and I, I really love puzzles with lots of, of bright colors. And, and what I would do is, is first I would find the four corner pieces and I would, and I would lay them out. And then I would, would find all the, the edge pieces and I would, I would build the border around the puzzle. And, 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 and then it was, it was, it was sort of a, a sense of satisfaction that I would find. It's okay, I've got, the, I've got the border. And now I'd start putting together the, the sort of the, the guts of, of the puzzle. And, and it, would, it would take me hours to these puzzles, and, but and sometimes it would get frustrating as I looked for a, a particular piece, and it was usually a section of sky where there was all just that one hue of, of blue, and, and, 
and, and sometimes I'd, I'd try to find a piece that was close to fitting, and I would try to maybe just sort of jam it in there, but, but it, it, it wouldn't work. There's only one way that the puzzle is meant to go together. And, it, and if I forced it, I know that would damage that piece and, and the pieces around it. But then when I found that piece, and, and I, I had a sense of satisfaction, and, and, and then when I finished the puzzle, I just, I just I would, would marvel at, at, at this, this puzzle, and then I would break it all up and put it back in the box again. But sometimes church is like a puzzle. Some of you have a puzzled look on your faces right now. But first and, and most importantly, when you, when, you, you, when you put together the puzzle, you need to keep the picture on the box in front of you. You need to keep the picture on the box in front of you. You need to keep your eyes on the Word of God so that you understand what the picture is supposed to look like. The Word of God... This, this not only describes the church and the way that people in the church are supposed to fit together, but it also describes what the church points to. What the picture is ultimately supposed to look like. The church is not an end unto itself. And the gifts that, that you have been given aren't your gifts. They are the church's gifts. And I hope you understand that. But because the church isn't an end unto itself, when you understand that the church exists for the glory of God, you understand that Jesus is the point. That Jesus is the point of your spiritual gifts. And, and our gifts have been given to serve Christ. The one who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So we serve in the gifting that God has given us because we have a God who served us. A God who, who did, he didn't come, even if, even if, if Christ had, had come as, as, as a supreme king and, 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 and omnipotent of the, of the world in, the, in a human sense, then, then he, would have been, he would have been totally condescending. But he came not as a king, he came as a lowliest form of servant and humbled himself even to the point of death. So we serve because Christ served us. And because no service for Christ was too lowly or too humble, no sacrifice is too great for us because of Christ's service to us. And so love for Christ and for his church is our motivation for using the gifts that we've been given. And if you don't keep the picture on the front of the box, if you don't keep in mind what Scripture says about the church, then you wouldn't naturally draw that conclusion. You would do things the way the world does. And also, most people uh, like puzzles with, with lots of colors, like I did when I was a kid. But imagine a puzzle that was all sky. It'd be boring. But you know you can actually get puzzles that are all one color. I'm not sure why you'd want to do that. It seems about as exciting as, as sitting and watching your toenails grow. But I guess some people enjoy that sort of thing. But it, it's, it's for me, that, and for most people, I think, that it's the variety of the colors and the shapes that make the puzzle enjoyable, make it fun. But in the church, everyone shouldn't be the same. The church should be made up of all different kinds of people, different ages and different genders and different races and socioeconomic status and different backgrounds and interests. 
So we're, we're, we, the church gathers as, as a diverse group of people. But think about that day when, when we are all gathered together before the throne of God, when, there, when there's a multitude that no one could number from every, is gathered from every nation and tribe and language, are gathered before the throne of the Lamb and crying out together with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, Revelation 7, 9 and 10. The, the church isn't a finished product. It is a, a foretaste of the finished product. And so each church is, is a foretaste of that glorious day. And only Jesus Christ could build a puzzle like that. Only he could bring together such a diverse group of people like that. He died for a diverse group of people like that. And so we should strive for diversity because it brings glory to him. So there's, also, there's a diversity of, of gifts that, that the Lord has put together in the church so that we could serve together. And we all fit in, in different ways, and the finished product is glorious. But not only that, there's only one way for the puzzle pieces to fit together correctly. And so different pieces have different roles. There's, there's corner pieces, and there's edge pieces. An edge piece won't fit in the middle, and a, a middle piece won't fit on the edge. The corner pieces are vital because they, 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 they set the basis for the whole thing, and the, the edge pieces are vital because they form a boundary around the puzzle. But all of the pieces are vital. All of the pieces in the puzzle are vital. And some may have more than one gift, but they're, they're sky pieces and ground pieces and building pieces and animal pieces, each in its proper place. But again, if you try to put a piece in the wrong spot, you're going to do damage. You're going to damage that, that particular piece and the pieces around it. And I, there's more than once that, that I've thought that somebody would fit into, into a particular role and I try to jam them into that role, but I've actually done damage. And so often we've tried to, to maybe even jam ourselves into a role that, that, we're, that we're not gifted for. And we damage ourselves and, the, and those around us as well. Well, this, this is the fourth sermon of a five-part parenthetical excursus on the spiritual gifts. And, and if you remember, as we came to the, the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, and David and I were talking, we realized it would be a good idea for us to explore what the spiritual gifts are because, so that we can actually use the gifts that God has given us for the building of His church. So quickly to review, in the first sermon we looked at three particular offices that were given to the church, that of apostle and prophet and teacher. And I explained that the first two offices, apostle and prophet, no longer exist because they have served their purpose in, in the production and, the, and putting together the canon of Scripture. But the, that third office, that of teacher, still exists to this day as teachers teach what is in the canon of Scripture. I also explained it. I don't believe that, that, that prophecy has ceased with the closing of the canon, but, but I do believe that most of, of what is labeled prophecy in our culture is not what the Apostle Paul was talking about here. We'll talk more about that when we get to chapter 14. In the second sermon, we looked at, at the more sensational gifts of miracles and healing and tongues and interpretation of tongues. And, and once, once again, although I believe that Scripture doesn't make a clear case for the, the cessation of these gifts, I do believe that what is taking place in our culture is not those gifts. 
that the vast majority of what passes itself off as the gifts of the Spirit is, is not actually the gifts of the Spirit. At best, it is a human uh, invention. Sometimes it is, I believe, a demonic inspiration because these things do not line up with what the Scriptures teach about these things. We'll look more into that in chapter 14 as well. In the third week, we looked at the gifts of helping, administration, wisdom, knowledge, and faith, the gifts that, that, that few would, would question exist today, and no one in the right mind would question the church needs today. This morning, we're going to look at five more spiritual gifts. We're going to, we're, there's going to be, um, again, with these things, this list that we're looking at, it's not comprehensive. There's other gifts that are, are not really directly on this, on this list, um, but there's also a lot of overlap between the gifts, and, and a lot of them... Um, you might have more than one, and, and, but, but the beauty is in the way that those different pieces fit together. This morning we're going to look at, at the 13th, which is distinguishing between spirits, and the 14th is exhortation, 15, giving, 16, leadership, and 17, acts of mercy. And again, I, I believe that they all continue, but perhaps not to the extent that they should. Most of these are going to come from Romans chapter 12, which, as we saw when I read it, is a parallel passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And Paul says that we're not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that we've been given. You can see there that we've, we've all been given the gift of faith, but to varying degrees. And like in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says here that there's many members in the body of Christ, but we don't all have the same function, yet we are all one body in Christ. Before we look at the, Paul's list from Romans, we're going to have one more gift to examine from 1 Corinthians, and that of distinguishing between spirits. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12:10, to another is given the ability to distinguish between spirits. And Wayne Grudem defines this gift as a special ability to recognize the influence of the Holy Spirit or of demonic spirits in a person. And to this I would add that possibly the ability to be able to determine whether a person is merely operating in a fleshly way. Now clearly this gift was needed in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 2 and 3, Paul says that you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus, Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And we looked at this a few weeks ago. Explained that, 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 that to determine whether this is the, the Holy Spirit is operating, it's not just a matter uh, of saying the words, Jesus is Lord. Jesus actually has to be your Lord. In Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23, Jesus says that there's going to be many workers of lawlessness who will come to him and say, Lord, Lord. They'll actually use the word. They will say to Jesus, Lord, but he's going to, they might even do mighty works in his name only to hear from Jesus, I never knew you. Depart from me. What was happening in Corinth is that people were doing all kinds of crazy things that they claimed to be the work of the Holy Spirit. They were, they were doing things that were the exact opposite of the orderly worship that God requires. And many in the church were holding sinful attitudes towards each other. I think that should probably sound familiar to you. Because it, it could be an accurate description of many churches today with, with all the craziness that, that gets passed off as worship. 
You have people who claim to be operating in the gifts of the Spirit who do not portray the fruit of the Spirit. There's people who have natural talents that, that they look like spiritual gifts. There's people that are naturally charismatic, and it lo- charismatic rather, in the sense of, 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 of the kind of personality that, that draws people to themselves. And they, they, they can do that, and they can actually lead people, but it can just be a fleshly, natural ability. And some of these people who are, are at best human imposters, but in some cases, they're actually demonically inspired. And there's many large ministries, large popular ministries on television, and, and, I, and I, I, it's not going to be popular, but I don't think it's a stretch to say that, that these men are satanic because they are, are spreading lies and calling it the gospel. Well, the main test in order to determine, in order to be able to, to distinguish between spirits is what they say and what they do. What they say and what they do. And if either what they say or what they do does not line up with Scripture, well, guess what? This is, you're talking about a, about a different spirit. It is not the Holy Spirit that's in operation here. And that doesn't mean that, that the person needs to be perfectly walking in obedience all the time, but, but it's the, question, the question is, is their life characterized by saying and doing the things in God's Word? Well, it, kinda make, it certainly makes sense that... that that God's word would be called into question because that's Satan's main tactic. Satan's main, task, main tactic is to question the word of God. We'll look at this when we look at the fall of man in our study after the service. In Genesis 3, he, he planted the seed of doubt in Eve's heart with the words, did God actually say in Genesis 3.1? And then in verse 4, it came to actually open denial of the word of God. When God had said, you will not, or when God had said, if you eat of the fruit of the knowledge of the tree, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. But then Satan contradicted that and said, you will not surely die. It was an out and out lie. Satan used the same tactic when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew 4. By pulling passages out of context in order to, to tempt Jesus. But just think for a moment about the foolishness of Satan's pride to tempt Jesus, who is the Word of God incarnate, with the Word of God. And Jesus wielded the, the Word, the sword of the Spirit, with, with perfect precision, and he cut down every one of Satan's, li- Satan's lies with the words, It is written. It is written. And there's a valuable lesson there for us as well because in order for us to be able to recognize satanic influences and to withstand the wiles of Satan, we need to be skilled with the Word of God. Satan does not come with horns and a pitchfork. He comes disguised as an angel of light, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. Well, the Apostle Paul was one who clearly had this gift to be able to distinguish between spirits. He was able to recognize Bar-Jesus as the son of the devil in Acts 13.10. Or think about the slave girl in, in Acts 16 who, who actually followed Paul around Philippi saying, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. 
This was a, was a girl who was, was possessed by a demon and was, was actually speaking the truth that, that Paul was a servant of the Most High and he was proclaiming the way of salvation. So how did Paul know that, that the words that she had came through an evil spirit? Because she was involved in divination, in, in fortune-telling, and in talking to spirits, which the Scripture says is not supposed to happen. So Paul knew that this was demonic, that this was not the Holy Spirit. He had the gift to distinguish between spirits. He saw that this was a demon, and he cast the demon out of her, and he ended up in prison for it. I believe one of the greatest dangers in the church is those who claim to be servants of God but are false teachers. Paul warned the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, 30, and 31 to be alert because he said that men would rise up from their own number who would speak twisted things. And John warned his readers in 1 John 4, 1 to 3 to test the spirits for many false prophets, he says, have gone into the world. And in 2 Peter 2, 1 to 3, Peter warned his readers that false teachers would be among them in the church and they would bring in destructive heresies. If that was true then, it is certainly true today. Times haven't changed. We need to be discerning. We need to be able to distinguish between spirits. We need to be able to examine what people are saying and how they are living in order to determine whether they are of God or of themselves or of the devil. We need to know the word of God so that we can identify false teachers through their words and their deeds. So false teachers are either knowingly or unwittingly tools of Satan sent to deceive. And so we need to exercise biblical discernment. The time is coming, Jesus says, when false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Mark 13, 22. So we need to know our Bibles. It's going to be people that are, are uniquely gifted in order to be able to, to identify these things. Number 14, exhortation. We're now turning over to the list from Romans chapter 12. And the list is given specifically there in verses 6 to 8. Paul says in verse 6, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then in verse 8 he says, The one who exhorts in his exhortation. Now the Greek word that's translated there, exhortation, is parakaleo. From kaleo, which means to call, and, and para alongside. So, so it means to call alongside. Call to one side. What a, what a, what a great description of what, of what the Apostle Paul has in mind here. The picture of, of coming alongside a brother or a sister and uplifting them through your words or your actions. Now there's two aspects of this, of this, of this gift. The first is reflected in most uh, good English translations, the word being to exhort. The other is, is reflected in the NIV to encourage. And this, is, this, this, this word to exhort um, sums up the, the ability to, to come alongside someone and to lift them up. And this could be in the form of reminding someone to, to press on in their service of the Lord to someone who is, is getting tired and struggling and, and being beaten down. And so, so a, 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 someone who's gifted it with exhortation comes alongside them and encourages them in their walk. Now again, we're, we're all called to do this. 
We're all called to encourage and to comfort one another. But there are people who, who, are, who are gifted in this way, and, and you know these kind of people. When they, they, just, they just come alongside you and, and you just feel so uplifted being around them. These are the, they're, they're the ones who help people stay on the narrow path. They consider how to stir one another up to love and good words and to encourage one another. And all the more you see the day drawing near, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, that, that encouraging one another is the same Greek word. These are the people who, who comfort people. Again, it's the same word in any affliction with the comfort that they have received from God. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 4. These people who are quick to, to identify the evidences of grace in somebody else and then and to go and point them out. And they, these are usually very humble people. Because quite often the, the faults in others are actually far more glaring than the evidences of grace in their life. And so we need to be intentional to look for the fruit of the Spirit in the lives of those around us. We need to be intentional to look for ways that people are serving in their spiritual gifts and to be able to, to encourage them. We do it in such a way that, that God is, is, is glorified. We say something to them like, I see God at work in you when, or you glorify God when you... And it's especially true if you know that somebody has struggled in an area of sin and you see them walking in victory over this sin. It's, it's a great opportunity to be able to, to encourage them. And it was so neat as, as I was talking with, with Reuben Pickering and, and Ableton, we, hear, we heard so many great things from his elders, but, but they were able to, they, the, the things that, that I was able to relate to him that he had said, some of these things he, he had never heard. We want to be encouraging each other and looking for these things because the world doesn't naturally do this. We tend to go going around picking at each other's faults. We need, by God's grace, the humility and, and, and people in this church to be able to grow in that, to, to be able to be an encouraging place. Think about the, the Apostle Paul's commendation of the Corinthian church at the outset of this letter. He says, I, think, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. If I was writing to the Corinthian church, I've got to say, I don't think I would have started the letter that way. He's actually praising them for being so gifted. And even when we see in 1 Corinthians 12 that those very gifts that they've been given, they're corrupting and and twisting for their, their own benefit. But this is the Apostle Paul's humility. The Apostle Paul is looking for opportunities to glorify God by encouraging the Corinthian church. Barnabas, we're told in Acts 4.36, means son of encouragement. And so we see him living up to his name throughout the book of Acts. In Acts 11, 23 and 24, when when the Jerusalem church sent Barnabas to Antioch, we, re we read that when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast, pur steadfast purpose. You see that? He came and he saw the grace of God. 
he saw the grace of God at work in the church there. May we have eyes to see that. It goes on, For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So when, when people are encouraged, the church grows. Now, I have to say, I, I don't think I'm, I'm gifted in this area, and probably several here would agree. But I, I, I can remember times that I've been able to encourage someone, and, and, and really, they've been so blessed. There's just one example. There was a, a woman at my church in Louisville, and, and <clears throat> I just noticed that, that, um, that she was often serving kind of behind the scenes, and um, you know, there, was, there was one woman there who had these, um, literally she had these boils like all over her, her body. And it was, she was kind of a, a difficult person to talk to. She had some interesting characteristics, and, and in her personality, and, and she was kind of a difficult person. But this girl, Stacy, I noticed, would, would reach out to her and minister to her. And there was, there was a, another uh, woman in the church who was narcoleptic, and she had some, some pretty severe brain damage, and she would, would, would constantly fall asleep in the, in the services. And, and part of Stacy's job was if she, could, if she fell asleep, she could actually go into seizures. And, uh, and, and so Stacy would sit with her and, and wake her up so that she wouldn't have these seizures. And I just, I just, I, know, I noticed this for some time, and I just went up to Stacy, and I said, you know, Stacy, I just really want to praise God for the way that, that you serve in the church. And I identified a couple of things that I'd seen. And she just burst into tears. She said, you have no idea how much I needed to hear that right now. May we be the kind of people who are looking for those opportunities to encourage each other and to build each other up so that God is glorified. When, we, when we've cultivated humility and love, we're going to be better able to do this. So that, that even if you have to admonish somebody, they're, they're, even if they're offended with the content, they won't be offended by the delivery. They, they, they know that what you say is coming from, from the understanding that you love them and that you don't think that you're better than them. I believe that, that we're growing in this as a, as a church, but I, I do fear that, that, that in some regards the church has adopted my weakness in this area. And so I pray that the Lord would strengthen us as a church and give us this gift in abundance, that we would be the kind of people that are quicker to, to identify evidences of grace in one another than to notice their faults. Number 15, giving. Paul goes on in, in Romans 12, 8. He says, to the one who contributes in generosity, I'm skipping ahead here because we've looked at, at some of these already. The one who contributes in generosity. Like so many of these gifts, we are all called to give. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside something and to store it up as he may prosper so that there may, may be no collecting when I come. And 2 Corinthians 9, 7, he said, each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So we're all to make it a, a regular part of our worship when we come together to joyfully give to the work of the Lord in this local church. But there are some who are uniquely gifted in this area. They're particularly generous, and, and their giving goes beyond a, a, a regular offering. These are not always wealthy people. The, the Lord is, is not interested is, as much in the, the amount as in the heart of the person who is the giver. 
But these people, they're, they're giving is simply a greater proportion of their income than that of most. They're, they're content, though, to keep it between them and the Lord, and so they receive great joy in being able to give. Now, I really have no idea in this church who gives how much, but I do know that this is a generous church. I know that many here must have the gift of giving because, because people here are giving on a level beyond that of many larger and more wealthy churches. It was such an encouragement on our, our Christmas Eve service as we took up an offering for our missionaries that, that this little church collected $900 to give to the Jutras family in Poland and to the Shane family in Mozambique. And both the Jutruses and the, and the Shanes were extremely encouraged and, bl- and blessed by the gifts that our, that our, our church gave them. And it, it's, the blessing of that even goes beyond just the money. It's they know that, that people here on the other side of the world love them and, and are praying for them and, and believe that what they're doing is important. And so they're encouraged as we seek to give. And so I just, uh, I've received a, an email from, from Pierre Jutras, and, and just uh, a week ago I received a, an email from, um, from Nate, the, the money, because it had to go through the States and all the way to, um, to Mozambique. It finally arrived to them, and, and they, they just sent a really sweet email. I actually um, posted both of them on the bulletin board in the foyer. I would encourage you to read them. But these, these people are encouraged, and, and Nate in his email said, you know, they, they pray for our church every day. These missionaries in Mozambique pray for our church every day. I don't know about you, but that humbles me. May we have the kind of hearts that are, are, are praying for them every day. But what an encouragement to them and to us to be able to serve God. So I want to praise, praise God for your generosity. Because, brothers and sisters, God is glorified in you. Number 16, leadership. Paul goes on in verse 8 to say, the one who leads with zeal. And that that word that's used here means to rule or to direct or to be at the head of. It's used to describe the qualification of an elder in 1 Timothy 3, 4, to to manage his household well. And in 1 Timothy 5, 17, it's translated rule. Paul says that the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. In 1 Thessalonians 5.12, it's translated, those who are over you. Paul says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Well, some people don't like the concept of somebody ruling or being over another person because they, they don't like to submit but that's how the Lord has ordered the church. It, this is how he has put his puzzle together. Now again, we all have different roles, but we're all equal, and, and all of our roles are equally important in the church, and so no one piece of the puzzle is more important than any other. That's true also in marriage. We see, we see in Scripture that the, the leadership and submission relationship where husbands are the head over the wife, but they are equal co-heirs of salvation, Ephesians 5, 23 and 1 Peter 3, 7. 
But some people think, wow, that's, that's, well, that's really backwards thinking. Well, in one sense, it is backwards thinking because it goes all the way back. It goes back to creation, but it goes back even further still. It goes back to God himself because the headship submission is found in the Trinity where God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all equal, but each has a different role when it comes to relationships within the Godhead and creation as the Son submits to the Father and glorifies Him and the Spirit proceeds from the Son and points to Him. So, so it is not in any way demeaning to say that somebody has authority over you. There are those who are gifted to lead in the church. And they're going to serve in, diff- in different capacities. In whatever capacity they're serving in, God calls them to do so with zeal. So, so these people, God will enable, enable them to serve humbly and selflessly and tirelessly in the church. And, and some are going to serve in offices of elder and deacon. And others are going to lead in various ministries and activities in the church. And others won't have any official capacity, but through their their gifting and the pattern of their lives, they will set an example for others to follow. And they're going to be raising the, the, the bar of godly behavior and conversation, and others are going to be drawn to that and are going to follow their example. And so, so the Lord has gifted people in this church with the gift of leadership. Number 17, and this is the, the, the final one we're going to be looking at today, Acts of Mercy. Paul finishes his lift of gifts in, in Romans 12, 8 by saying that the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. But, but again, unfathomable, unfathomable mercy should be, those who received unfathomable mercy should be quick to offer mercy to others. We have received limitless mercy in Christ. And so out of the mercy that, that we have received in Christ, we should be quick to offer mercy to others. And we can do this when we, when we forgive others, especially those that, that we don't think deserve our forgiveness. If we hold on to unforgiveness, we're saying we really do not understand the forgiveness of God. When Jesus, in his, in his parable of the wicked servant, talks about the king who says to the servant who had been give, forgiven so much but did not forgive his fellow servant, he says, and should, you, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. And so the, this, this mercy that, that we're talking about here is at least the mercy to be able to, to forgive others as we've been forgiven, as recipients of mercy ourselves. But I believe this form of mercy goes even beyond, it goes far beyond merely forgiving others. It it, it extends to actively reaching out to those in need. It extends to actively reaching out to those in need, even, even our enemies. The care of that good Samaritan that the, the Good Samaritan showed for his neighbor who had been robbed and beaten is described using this word. That one of the main points of that story is that the Samaritan who was looked down on by the Jews 
a Jew wouldn't even talk to a Samaritan. We have the, the, the priest and the lawyer and everybody passing by and not helping this, this, this Jew who's been beaten on the street. But the Samaritan, an enemy of the Jews, actually reaches out and serves him. So Jesus said, you go and do likewise, Luke 10, 37. So, so we hear, have your c- compassion, I believe, is, is, a good, is, a, is, a, is a good synonym here. Compassion. And it's easy to show compassion on, on nice people. It's easy to show compassion on people who are nice to you or on people who you think are deserving of your compassion. But if you're doing it just on the basis of what you think that they deserve, it ceases to be merciful. Because you're just giving them what, what you feel they deserve. And again, we are all called to display this kind of mercy, but there are those who are especially gifted in this way. These are the people who are, are keenly on the lookout, they are keenly aware of the needs of others and are always on the lookout for ways to help. They're often instinctively aware of those who are in pain and those who are in need. So it might mean visiting somebody in hospital or or a shut-in. It might mean dropping off a meal to a new mom. It might mean dropping off a tea to a lady who can't get out of the house. It might mean cleaning a yard in the spring or mowing a lawn in the summer or raking leaves in the fall or shoveling a driveway in the winter. It might mean looking for somebody who, who is sitting on their own and looks discouraged and, and approaching that person and, and putting your arm around them and, and walking with them and talking with them and, and listening to them and praying with them. And so people who are gifted in this way look for ways to help in the church and in the wider community. So we're, we're seeking, as a church, we're seeking the Lord's wisdom and, and for the Lord to reveal ways that we can image Christ by reaching out to others both in our church and in our community. We know that the Jesus came primarily to save his elect, but he didn't limit his ministry to the elect. He taught, fed, and healed a great number of people that he knew would never come to faith. And so God is glorified when we reach out to others even if they reject the gospel. But like Jesus, our first concern is for the church. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith, Galatians 6.10. There are many needs in the church, not just for practical concerns, but, but for fellowship and encouragement and prayer. And it's so neat the way that, that people in this church have, have sought to serve others through the provision of meals for those in hospital to, to new mothers and for those who are grieving. We've recently established a, a, a care ministry in order, to, and, and in order to put a skeleton, on this, uh, to, uh, a skeleton to the muscles that were already in, in use that we might be able to help this ministry to grow. And so Jane and, and Christine are, are coordinating this and, and talk to them if you want to help. This is, this is a perfect opportunity to see if you have the gift of of, of mercy by actually showing mercy. And you'll find, wow, maybe God's actually given, given me the gift to be able to do this because I feel exhilarated and I, and I feel encouraged and, and God really seems to be using me in this way. 
So those are five more of the, of the, the, the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to the church. As I conclude, I, I just want to return for a, a moment to my puzzle illustration. Occasionally, after hours of, of working on my puzzle, I would, would get, I'd get near the end and realize that there was a piece missing. I look under couches and behind bookcases hunting for that missing piece and it's so disappointing after working for hours on a puzzle to realize that you couldn't finish it. Sure, you could, you could look at, at all the rest of the puzzle that you had done but attention would be focused on that, that one missing piece. Well, beloved, God is putting the pieces of this church together. He has sovereignly placed each one of us who is part of this church family together. Are there any pieces missing? When you don't come to church without a, without a good reason, you're the missing piece. When you fail to commit, you're the missing piece. When you fail to use your spiritual gifts as God intended, you're the missing piece. When you come to church without dealing with sin in your heart or with outstanding issues between you and others so that you can't serve in the strength that God provides, you are the missing piece peace. Now, I'm not saying that to pick on, on people who are not here today. You guys are here, and, and I'm, I'm thankful, but, but we need to ask the question, are we the missing piece? And if there's somebody that, that, that you know that has not been at church for a while, get on the phone. Give them a call. Ask them what's going on. Ask them if they're okay. Not, not in a way to, to browbeat them into coming back to church, but to tell them that you love them and that you miss them and that when they're not here, they're the missing piece. So may we encourage each other and uplift each other and spur each other on to love and good deeds. Let's pray.